Welcome to the On The Edge Podcast with your host, Scott Groves. Hey, what's up, audience? It's Scott Groves here with my new friend, uh, Jessica Glazer, who I'm going to refer to as the Kajabi Queen. Uh, She runs a company where they do course building, and what's pretty amazing is in the two, three years that they've been running the company, they have done over $11 million in revenue for their clients, and we actually got introduced because a mutual friend of ours had their teenage son go through the course build his course on Kajabi for how to wakeboard, which seems to be like the least likely thing I would watch videos on. And the kid made like over $50,000 on Kajabi wakeboarding courses. So for those of you that don't know what Kajabi is, maybe we'll get that explanation quickly from Jessica. But uh, Jessica, welcome to the show. I know you have a background in teaching. You've got a family. You've got a great old blog on like health and fitness and and doing um doing gymnastics and how that led you to like a crazy life but what did i miss in the 60 second reader's digest of what your company does i don't think you missed anything scott thank you for having me i'm super excited to be here and just glad we've connected so we can talk about really anything that you want today from the uh the old blog as you mentioned to strategy around business but yeah i think you nailed it all right so tell us first of all what is kajabi and how does a former phys ed teacher move from, I'm going to be a, a servant of the public, probably making $40,000 a year to running a multi-million dollar business that Kajabi is, for what I understand, is course creation. So can you tell us what Kajabi is? And then how does that happen? You go from A to B to, to Z so quickly. Yeah, yeah. So in my eyes, my definition of Kajabi, it's sort of a one-stop shop for me. So it's everything from a website host to a blog host. I can do sales there. I can do email CRM. I can do course creation. So it really kind of covers all of the basis to run a digital coaching program or a digital, really digital coaching agency. Um, And I stumbled across it or was introduced to it about four years ago. And at the time I was on piecemeal, right? So I had MailChimp and I had WordPress and I had Wix and all, all these different things that I was using to run my, what I called at the time, cute side hustle. And when I was introduced to Kajabi, I moved everything over to Kajabi where everything basically lives under one umbrella. I don't know if I said that correctly for the people who actually work there, but that is what Kajabi is to me. So it houses everything, really everything in our entire business. Got it. Sounds like maybe it was Kajabi that helped you turn it from a cute side hustle into a real business, quote unquote, right? If everything's under one one tent, probably easier to create and, and be a little bit more nimble, I'm guessing. It was definitely one of the things, absolutely, because it, it's how much time are you spending jumping through hoops? How much time are you spending where there's like holes in the bucket that are leaking? And so by getting everything under one roof, it definitely has made my life a lot easier for automations and stuff like that. Yeah. Nice. So yeah. all I have to do is scroll through Instagram or Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever. And there's, especially cause I'm in the coaching arena and then I'm in a fully commissioned arena in the mortgage industry. Everybody's trying to sell me something, whether it's 99 cents for an app yeah. or $99,000 for a mastermind. Everybody's mm-hmm. got their take on how they can help you create this thing. That's going to be your pathway to financial wealth and, <laughs> and, and turn your side hustle into your real business. Um, what is different about you guys that it actually works? Because I think, you know, online, uh, uh, basically products of intelligence or products of information are are now seem like they're a dime a dozen. And yeah. you read about some of them and they're clearly snake oil salesmen, like a completely yeah. rip, you know, complete rip off. But I just know from the results of the people that you and I know in common, like that's obviously not the case with you. So why does your stuff work? <laughs> Thank you for that. I will receive that. Uh, and for the record, we do have people that come through our programs who 
don't end up building businesses or don't have the financial success that other people do. So we also have people that, you know, don't have that success, but in general, we do have really, really incredible success rates for our clients. We also have really incredible retention, not just them within our company, but them actually running businesses for themselves one, two, three, four years later, where a lot of people often drop off fast. So a couple different things come to mind when you ask me this question. Number one, I think time in the marketplace. So for me, I got into digital coaching uh, eight years ago. It was about 2012, 2013. So I've actually been in this industry for quite some time, not forever, but a long time for how long it's been around. And so I've seen a lot of different trends and pivots and iterations. I've worked with a lot of different coaches. I've tried a lot of different methods and different ways that you can kind of produce content as well as work with clients. So number one, I think is time in the marketplace and just customer feedback and stuff like that experience. Number two would be my background as a teacher. I wholeheartedly believe that teachers make some of the best coaches, certainly best speakers because of the way that they're trained to speak in front of a room, hold the attention, really lean into the different types of learners, different types of buyers, understand the psychology of all these different things timing, pacing, right? And like capturing an audience. So for me, bringing my elements of teaching, which I did for eight years in an elementary school, bringing that into my programs and course creation, I, I really would like to think that I really do try to reach every different type of learner. We're switching it up. We have, you know, 140 page workbook that we send to people in the actual mail when they join our programs. So we really try to hit on all the different things. So I think understanding that as a teacher is the second thing. I think the third would be that we are, we are impact driven. I never started this business to start a business. I never started it to make money. I had a job. I was a teacher and I was a personal trainer on the nights and the weekends. And this was purely something out of just impact and fulfillment for myself. I would get home from school at 325. My husband would get home from work at, you know, 9 PM. And so to fill the gap in between, I just kept myself busy with, with impact and changing lives and helping people. And it started for free. And it, then it went to really, really low ticket. And it was, you know, meetups and fitness retreats and stuff like that, just out of a need for myself, a desire for myself to feel fulfilled. And so we also teach that impact driven type of movement where we give education to one student overseas for every single student that comes through our programs. And we bleed that into all of our clients. So we don't force them to, but we heavily encourage them to also get involved in some sort of a give camp, big give back component or a charity or something that lights them up. So because we're impact driven, and even when we're putting content out, it's about the outcome, right? When I create a piece of content on social media, it's really not for likes. It's not for shares. It's not for saves. It's for what's the transformation for the client that's reading it. What's the win that they're going to have? What's the impact it's going to make? And when you focus on impact first, well, the income just comes after. Yeah. So I think the third thing would be really impact driven. I'm, I'm going to teach you a new word that a friend of mine came up with because this sounds so similar to the coaching business that we created where it's like, hey, I, I do mortgages. I make a great living doing mortgages, but people call and they want information and then you take 10 minutes and then 15 minutes and then half an hour and then it's like multiple half hour calls during the week. You're like, oh, this might as well just be a coaching program. And at first I was just giving it away for free. So a good friend of mine came up with the term uh, intellectual philanthropist. Like oh. you, you can't help but help people and eventually you help enough people for free that somebody starts paying you for it. So it yeah. sounds like you're an intellectual, intellectual philanthropist, as am I. That's actually, that is exactly how our signature program started. I was just helping friends in the training industry in New York City. I was just helping them build businesses because they saw that I had one online. And 
it sort of snowballed exactly like you're saying, where all of a sudden one friend is three and then five and seven friends every Tuesday were behind my computer in the fitness room in between clients. And I was like, wait a minute, I think I'm onto something, but I also think I need to charge you. And that's really where that signature program was birthed in 2017, 2018. Yeah. That's amazing. And going back to your introduction on why teachers make such great um, coaches, uh, what grades did you, did you teach? I was pre-K to five. Okay. Yes. So there's nobody in this world I love more (laughs) than my three and five-year-old. And if I had to deal with them all day long, I would take this pen and I would shove it through my left (laughs) eye socket and I would just end it because I love them to death. But me trying to teach them this is how embarrassing it is, Jessica. Uh, my wife, uh, Spanish was her first language, and then she didn't like get fully immersed in English till like eleven. I'm a moron. I barely made it through high school, and the first time our five year old came home and had to do this exercise on long vowels versus like short vowels, <laughs> my wife and I looked at each other and we're like, "What the fuck is a long vowel?" <laughs> like we had to. I had to watch a YouTube video over in the corner, yeah. like an embarrassed child, and I was like, "Oh, oh, okay, yeah, now I got it." So then I came back over. I'm like, "Of course, honey, this is what a long vowel and a short vowel is." And um, so, thank you very much for your your service in that industry. But it makes a lot of sense that you could talk to business owners that act like five year olds because you're used to dealing with five year olds. So um, that that's a relevant background that I wouldn't have thought about. Yeah. Yeah. So walk us through what your what your class actually does because you know we have this one we have this one example of our mutual friend whose kid wanted to teach a class on wakeboarding which again seems like the weirdest thing that you could teach digitally um, you know I have a bunch of content that maybe one day could be a course you've talked about fitness instructors already a couple times that created courses so what does it mean kind of concept to oh the bell is ringing and I'm making some money off of this like what yeah. what does your course teach or how does that how does that all like what's the secret sauce. Mm. So we actually go through a five-step process. And the first thing is extracting what you already know. So it's that thing that you just do, you innately know, it's what you've studied, it's your lived experience, your unique perspective. And we help extract that so that we can get clarity around what it is that we can build. And then from there, we go through the different steps of identifying who it is that you help and how you help them. And then we go into how you're going to share that content. So what is your individualized social media strategy? And that might be on Facebook, LinkedIn, TikTok, Pinterest, right? It's different for everybody. The way that we're teaching is organic marketing. That's not to say that we have never tried ads ourselves or that we don't encourage people to use ads, but what we are teaching is organic marketing, which is how I built the entire business myself. And to me, I just think it's a it's a it's an opportunity, right? Like it's free marketing that we can be on these platforms. And to your point earlier, it's hard to scroll and not be sold to. But what these social media platforms have really turned into is marketing platforms. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as you're looking through the lens of, well, that's just what they are now. And so when you're a business owner, it's an incredible opportunity where you don't have to take ads out in the newspaper anymore. You don't have to pay to be in magazines. You don't have to pay to be on. I'm from New Jersey. So the old diner placemats, people used to pay for that, right? So now it's just this opportunity to reach billions of people by the click of a finger, you know, in your pajamas at home. And so we teach you what is an individualized strategy there. From there, we go into the creation process, which is my favorite process. And we use a process within that, that I call post it to profit. We cannot trademark it. Unfortunately, post-its have been taken. Oh, but, uh, you can't go I post know. it to profit? I that know, okay. I know, I know. But we use post-it notes in this really quick activity that I have you do to basically take the ideas in your head, take the stuff that you want to teach, take the stuff that you know, and dump it out. And we can have your course created literally in minutes. And so we have you go through this process. And then we go, of course, into generating, which is going to be sales and leads and how do you get exposure and media 
And so with our signature program, which is called Empower, which is the one we're talking about, it's a 12-week group coaching program that we take you through all these different pieces to really unlock doors that you didn't even know were there. Excellent. Excellent. And, yeah. you know, when, when you say, like, we can come up with a course in five minutes, my mind immediately goes to, but yeah, but then don't I have to film, like, super high-quality video, and I have mm. to get a videographer, and I have to do this, and I got to get my hair cut, and I got to lose 20 pounds before I film the video. Like, <laughs> I think there's so much fear that goes into putting my content out there. Because, you know, you mentioned everybody's got something in their wheelhouse that's their yeah. lived experience, something they've been training their whole life to teach. But people don't think like that. I mean, I'm, I'm in front yeah. of a video five hours a day between mortgage and coaching and podcasting. And I'm still apprehensive of like, ooh, there's a little bit of, um, of uh, imposter syndrome there where it's like, am I, am I worth selling this course to somebody for X amount of dollars? Or, you know, are they actually going to do it? Or what results are they going to get out of it? So how, how do you really get from idea to something that makes the dollar sign ring in 12 weeks? That seems, that seems pretty aggressive. Yeah. So as you're saying that three different things pop up into my head. So the first thing is that one of the biggest mistakes I see specifically coaches, but entrepreneurs make is they go and they create the course of the program and then they try to sell it. So we actually teach to do the opposite, which if you look at the history of any business, really, they all do this as well. So people will often spend time and energy, maybe even money, and they'll film the content, create the course, make the workbooks and the worksheets, and then they'll try to sell it and no one buys or a couple of people buy. The way that we teach it is you're basically doing a prototype. You're selling the offer. So the offer is just simply the idea. The offer is the promised transformation as well as, you know, the deliverables. What is it going to look like? How is it going to feel for the client? But it's really, you're selling them on the idea of taking them from A to B and why you're an expert at that. The moment somebody pays you, the first person pays you, then you start to create the actual program, product, membership, whatever that is. So that's really saving you time, energy, and again, possibly money, and also just ego of how it feels when you create something and birth it to the world and no one's interested in it, right? right. So it, it keeps that from happening. It allows the client to really navigate the time, the speed, the pacing, the direction. So we have you create a framework or like a skeleton so that you have clarity on what it is you're selling, but you don't actually go and create it until someone buys it. So that's number one. Number two, I think there's just a level of knowing your brand, right? And all brands are different. So for me, I hear what you're saying about, you know, lose the 20 pounds and I have to have good lighting and the fancy mic. And for me, the makeup and all the things. And that is just not my brand. Right. There are coaches, there are business owners out there that that is their brand. But for me, that's not. If you were to go inside any of my, my programs, I have people in the background making noise. When we lived in New York City, we just moved, but there were kids in the hallway screaming. I have videos where I have no makeup on. I have videos with terrible lighting. And at the end of the day, for me, that's not what it's about. That's not my brand, right? So you're paying me for proximity. You're paying me to have my hands in your business. You're paying me for my experience. You're paying me for to have an idea, like someone to bounce ideas off of, have someone supporting you in your corner. And ultimately my clients, my ideal clients, they know that. And they know that about me when I show up on social media without makeup, without filters. And so the people buy from people. Right. And so my people know that's not what they're getting into. So right. I think it's also having a brand awareness where if I were teaching a video course, I probably would have really cool transitions in my videos and they would be edited. But for me, I'm a teacher. I stand in front of a whiteboard a lot of the times and I just teach and that's my brand. So it's okay. Yes. 
Yeah. So is there, most importantly, is there a secret for filming in front of a whiteboard? Because I got to tell you, I've tried this like a hundred times and the light's always like reflecting off it in a weird way where then you can't write on it really well. I know. uh, That should be our biggest takeaway from today is like, how do you film a whiteboard? Yep. So if you're using a ring light and any sort of lighting, you need it to be lifted up higher than the board and then tilted slightly down as opposed to straight on in front of you. Yeah, because I've got that whole like ring light thing where I'm like, oh, you can't read this now. Um, I yeah. used to have like perfect lighting. Put the put the whiteboard in front of a window and then stand facing the window. That's just usually what I do. Oh, I like this. Okay, yeah. I'm going to do this. Yeah. Thank you. Big tip. <laughs> um, you know, it's kind of funny. You mentioned the, you know, sell it, then build it versus build it, then sell it. This is kind of like, I, I was talking to somebody at this, this just the other day, I think on the podcast, like the Tesla model versus the Amazon model where like Elon Musk just says, hey, we're thinking about buying this really cool truck. How many people are building this really cool truck? How many people will put a deposit down? And then 100,000 people give him 500 bucks. He's like, oh, well, I guess I should build the truck now versus Amazon has had some great product launches where they just build it and everybody's a fan. But they also had the Amazon Fire Phone and a bunch of other mm-hmm. stuff they did that failed miserably because they put, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars into development ta-da and then the market was like no hard pass so um i guess you can do that when you're amazon but not when you're jessica or scott like i don't have (laughs) i don't have 12 weeks to build a course that's not gonna sell you know and and some people do and some people try it and it does work so i'm not saying it doesn't work it's just in my experience with my own business and this was my third my third point that i was going to bring up it's that you know we look at something like apple And when they came out with the first iPhone, they were never dead set on that being the only iPhone. I mean, what are we on number 14 now or something? 13, right? right? So what they do is they, they put it out. I like to call it messy action. It's like, just do it, just take action, get it out there. And then again, allow the the client or the customer to give you feedback, to get the market research, to make the enhancements and the tweaks and version after version after version, it gets better. I mean, this program that we're talking about empower we're currently just about to graduate our 14th class. They've never, it's never been the same program. The people who came through cohort one versus cohort 14, it's not even the same language. But if I was so dead set on it, having to look a certain way or to your question of building it first, this is the last reason why I don't think people need to make it perfect. It will never be perfect. It doesn't exist. I've changed it every single time. So imagine I had the lighting and the cameras and the fancy things. And then six months later, I wanted to tweak it. How would that feel? Would I have to redo every single video? Was that a waste of money if I outsourced it? Right. So for me, I'm like, just, just throw it up there. Who cares? Right. And in, you know, in your eight year journey of being in this kind of digital coaching space, what has some of the stuff that's evolved or crazy, or what's the new trend where you're like, Oh, this isn't even the same business. It was eight years ago, two years ago, eight months ago, like what's changing at a rapid pace that you're just like, wow, we can barely keep up. The way that we're consuming is changing faster than ever. So our attention span is changing Our just the way we're consuming in general. So short form videos are really popular. Uh, Carousel posts, which are the ones you can swipe through on Instagram, which it's funny because people are taking what they used to write in a caption and now they're just putting it into a visual carousel. They've changed nothing, just where it is. And people are consuming that faster. Of course, we have Reels and TikTok, short form educational video, where eight years ago, I started with a blog because everybody was blogging and everybody was reading blogs and eBooks were really, really popular. So that's where I started was in health and fitness, $79 eBooks, you'd get a workout program. Um, So I think it's just shifted in the way that we're consuming, the way that we're buying. Mm -hmm. More people are buying on mobile now. 
even eight years ago, it was, it was different than what it is now. It's almost a hundred percent of people are buying on mobile or sales are coming through mobile. So really knowing your mobile website, making sure it's very user-friendly. If you have like an opt-in, making sure everything's happening, what's called before the fold, right? So they don't have to scroll. That wasn't necessarily the case eight years ago or 10 years ago or 12 years ago. Wow. And, and, you know, it's funny to me because in my mind, if I come across, uh, what's the most recent thing I bought on Instagram? I bought a brush for my daughter's hair because it's like <laughs> the brush promised to be the end-all, be-all brush that like was less painful for her tangles and stuff. And there's nothing that pains me more than watching my daughter cry because of something I'm doing to her, aka brushing her hair. So I bought this $9.99 or $19.99 brush on Instagram. So I still will buy cheap stuff on Instagram, but when it comes to like, oh, I'm going to drop you know, a couple thousand dollars on a course or an event or, you know, a one day in-person shooting exercise with ex-Navy SEALs. I'm still, probably because of my age, I still go to the, like, the real big computer screen and do some research and go through all the tabs on the website to see if they're real. Are we seeing an uptick in, like, younger buyers who will drop big money on mobile? Or is this, like, a generational thing? Am I just, like, an old man get off my grass now? Because in my mind, it's like, if I'm going to spend more than 10 bucks, I'm not doing it on my phone. You know, it's interesting. I'm kind of in the same camp as you where I like to have the tabs open on my computer and circle back to it and really see it on the big screen. In my experience in my business, I can only speak to that. My experience in my business is that, yes, there's definitely an uptick of people buying on mobile. And what I'm recognizing right now, it's currently January of 2022. There's actually an uptick of people wanting less information. People are not even needing for high ticket stuff. People are needing less information and less of the kind of details and the talking to the camera and the really, really long form sales page. And they kind of just want to know what is it that you're selling me? Because to your point earlier, they know they're going to be sold to. So it's very like cut to the chase. And again, this is in my, my vortex in my world. And this is what I'm finding is just kind of, what is it? Tell me what you're selling me. And I think something that's interesting is I've always been taught in marketing that 80, 20 rule, right? 80% 80% value, 20% ask. It's that jab, jab, right hook. And so I've always taught 80% value, 20% sell. What I'm currently doing, I've shifted. I'm 100% value and like 80% selling. Interesting. Unapologetically, yeah. And you know, something that I'm so glad, and maybe you agree, disagree, something that I'm so glad that I think has completely died is the fake live webinar where it's like you sign up for something and it's like in two hours we're starting and it's a long form evergreen hour and a half long webinar. And I'm like, first of all, don't lie to me and tell me something's live when I know it's fake and it's, it's evergreen fake. Uh, And two, exactly to your point, I don't need to sit through an hour and a half webinar for the offer. I've already decided I'm going to spend a thousand dollars on you based on our, you know, our online relationship or your online Mm -hmm. personality or the perceived value I'm going to get out of the thing. So what you said made a lot of sense where it's like, I am seeing a lot more programs where it's like, come to Jocko Willink's event. We're going to deliver at a high level. It's $2,500. If you need more questions answered than that, you're probably not the right candidate. And I'm like, yeah. Well, of course I'm the right candidate. I'm going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but even even that, right? It's like the again the buying, the way that we're consuming and buying has changed. It's like get to the point because everything I swipe through is selling me something. So I already know if I know, like, and trust you. I already know if I want to work with you. It's just a matter of is this the right program? Is this the right time? Is this the right price point? And I think again, just in my bubble, 
even that where we used to kind of hide the price, we would hide the investment until you maybe got on a sales call and finally told someone what it was. Right. That's become less and less of a secret. It's kind of like, here it is. It, you're in or you're out, right? Got yeah. it. Got it. Yeah. You use one of my favorite phrases, and I use this all the time on onboarding with our coaching clients of, you know, at the end of the day, the market is simply getting more people to know you, like you, and trust you. So yeah. the way that this shows up in the mortgage business is I've got to put up enough content where people know Scott Groves is a loan officer. And then for whatever reason, uh, either I meet them at a happy hour or I cold call them or they, we interact on social media, they have to like me enough to send me the first deal. And then I have to have all the systems in place. So after they send me the first deal, they trust me enough to send me deal number two, three, four, five, six. So when you're selling anything online, whether it's a mortgage or a $10,000 digital program to go through your 12 week course, which I don't actually know what it's worth, but I'm sure it's worth, it's worth $10,000. Um, what's the online version of no like and trust? Cause I know how to do that really well in a personal setting. You know, I go to open houses, I meet realtors, I make small talk, I get them to like me. I find some point of commonality. I give them an authentic compliment. I follow up and then eventually they'll give me a deal cause I just stay in front of them. And then we've got to really shine on that deal for them to trust me to have a long-term relationship. What's the online version of that that you all are seeing? Yeah. It's, it's pretty similar. I mean, I see the no as two things. So the no is know me, right? Know me, know about me. See if we're, if I relate to you, you relate to me, do we jive, but also know what I offer. And that's where that 80% selling comes in. It's if you don't know what I'm selling, if you don't know what I do, if you don't know what I offer, we're going to miss each other. So the knowing is in the content. It's the way that I show up. It's being authentic. And I think there's unfortunately the word authentic and, and vulnerable as well. These are like buzzwords that people don't yeah. even necessarily understand what it means. <laughs> Vulnerability and authenticity and the social media space doesn't mean you have to air all of your skeletons in your closet and all your dirty laundry out for people. You don't have to show up crying and telling people your deep, dark secrets, right? But being authentic is, is following your own methods. It's doing things that feel within integrity and aligned for yourself. It's not just regurgitating things that you've learned from other coaches, which unfortunately is something that I see a lot in the coaching industry. Right. People come in, they learn something, they take it and they just regurgitate it without ever integrating it, without ever right. really sitting with it and experiencing it themselves. So to me, that's the no. The like, it's the same thing. It's, are you likable? Are you relatable? Do we have things in common? Are you fun? Is it just teaching all the time? Is there value in humor? Is there value in, are you human? Just that sort of like, do I like what you have to offer? Do I like how you speak? Do I like, and then trust similarly to what you're saying, trust would still be the same thing of, I think it's building relationships. I have never outsourced something like DMS and I won't, I just, I, for me, it's, it's a real, I'm in a relationship built business, right? People right. buy from people. And so for me, I want to be in the DMs. I want to build relationships. I want to know what you need and how you feel and what you desire and what you're struggling with. And at the end of the day, it's going to help my business anyway. So the trust is the conversation and the communication back and forth, the relationships. And then also the trust comes in from authority, credibility, client, social proof, testimonials, um, evidence of, of it working or, you know, our programs and products working. So I think that for me is the trust. Yeah. And will, will people... Will people continue to trust you? I, I don't know how to say this. So I'll just use an example. 
I'm, I'm currently being very inauthentic. I've got a, I got a virtual assistant who's going through my uh, social media because it's like I have this massive love-hate relationship with Facebook. I hate everything about them at like a company, a culture, what they believe in, the problems that sure. they're adding to the world. I really dislike them. And they're an absolute necessary evil for my business because probably 95% of my organic growth and coaching have come from people tagging me on Facebook and sharing my stuff. And probably 50% of my mortgage business comes from the brand awareness that we continue to promote on Facebook is like, don't forget, Scott still does mortgages. So I hate it and I have to be there. So I've got mm -hmm. a virtual assistant who's going through like the Facebook groups that I run and stuff and just sending a short message like, hey, just looking to keep in touch. What are you liking about the group? We're building our email list because we don't know how long we're gonna stay on Facebook. Um, and it is funny because once in a while I get caught where they're like, Hey Scott, this isn't really you, right? Like you're not sending this message to me. And so is it okay to be inauthentic if you're at least honest about it? Where I'm like, no, of course it's not me. You know, I'm really busy. Of course I have a virtual assistant in the Philippines doing this for me. Actually, she's in Buenos Aires, but, um, <laughs> is it okay to be inauthentic if you're honest? I think I'm just looking for an excuse or a permission here to continue to be inauthentic. I don't think it's inauthentic though, because you're saying it, you're admitting to it. You're, it, it. There's nothing wrong with outsourcing. Got it. I just choose to outsource other things in the business because for me, like I am the core of, of the relationships of the business. And that actually might not be the best approach, right? It might not be the most sustainable, scalable thing when I'm at the core of it, but that's just where it had started. And, and it's the thing that I enjoy because I love coaching and I love teaching and I love building I collect friends. Like I like to co collect a network of people. Right. And so the more people I can kind of get in my network and who I can serve and help and then and vice versa, like I learn from them and I grow. So for me, that's the part I enjoy spreadsheets, not so much, you know right. what I mean? So for me, I'd rather just outsource something else. So I don't think it's about being inauthentic. I think it's knowing your zone of genius. Okay, cool. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for the <laughs> permission. So, so what's big, you're, you're a mom as well, right? I'm not. No, oh, I have not. a dog. Oh, I'm okay. dog mom. You, you said you had kids running around in the background on some of your videos. I was like, oh, there must be kids in the Oh, in, in the, the hallway equation. in New York City. Yeah, they oh. used to ride their bikes in the hallway. Very strange. See, this is this is another reason I don't live in New York. Besides all the craziness that's going on right now in New York, that would be number one. Some kid riding their bike down the hallway while I'm trying to do a sales call would lose my mind. Um, <laughs> all right. So, so what's been the biggest surprise from you transitioning from the public sector of like, okay, I clock in nine to three and I get my X amount of dollars a year for being a public school teacher to like, yeah. well, I'm kind of half pregnant, meaning I've got the self-employed thing. I do some training stuff. I'm kind of building a business to now you're just all in, you know, mm -hmm. uh, building this huge, very successful online business. What's been the big surprise for you in that arc of like transitioning? Cause I gotta be honest, most of the public school teachers I've encountered them thinking that they could go fully self-employed, eat what you kill, build your own thing. That's yeah. normally the farthest thing from somebody who's a public service employee who's very happy with their $55,722 mm -hmm. a year. Um, that's like, that's just not, those two mindsets just usually don't, don't merge. So what's been the yeah. biggest surprise, you know, making that jump? I love this question. Nobody's ever asked me this. And as you were speaking, a lot bubbled to the surface. So I had lived a lot of different lives and I've worked in a bunch of different industries and we don't need to get into all of them, but I actually never sought out to be a teacher. A teaching degree was a quote fallback. And so when I was going, going through school for my doctor to physical therapy, my parents had encouraged me to get a teaching degree to, you know, fall back on. And I ended up using that plan B and I ended up teaching for eight years after doing some other things. And so it's so interesting that you said that 
I never was in the mindset that, that I was comfortable. I was never in the mindset that it's what I wanted to do. I never sought out to be a teacher. I love teaching. I was always a coach and a trainer. So I love coaching and I love kids and sports and all of that. But the entire time I was a teacher, especially the last four of the eight years, I actually felt like I couldn't breathe. I felt like the walls were caving in. I felt like my, I was just like getting older and smaller in the wall in elementary school. I mean, the toilets are literally low to the ground. Like everything was very literal and fig, right. Like figuratively just very small. And I always used to say, I'm going to be a millionaire. I, I didn't know why or how I had no intention to build a business. I don't come from a family of entrepreneurs. I didn't know what an entrepreneur was. My dad's a doctor, like a, doctors, lawyers, accountants. That's, you know, that's what we do. And so it was never a dream to become a eat what you kill, right? Like you said, but I just knew, and I always used to say, I'm going to be a millionaire. And the teachers would kind of laugh at me. Okay. How? Like you're a teacher, you make 50 grand a year. That's cute. And I, I don't know. I just, I just am, I can't do this forever. And so it's interesting when I left teaching, I didn't leave because my side hustle was doing well. I didn't leave because I had replaced my income. I didn't leave because I was brave. I left teaching because I couldn't breathe. Like I just, I felt like I was living in someone else's life. It was like, who wrote the story? I, I, how did I get here? And I'm super grateful for the job that I had. And it taught me a lot. And I love my kids and I had a five minute commute and a white picket fence. And, you know, we did that life and it was awesome, but I just, it wasn't mine. And so when I left, I left because I just felt like I was getting smaller and older and it just felt like this can't be it. So to then transition to not have a cap or a limit, there's no, the financial thermostat I decide. And so the money that we can make, the impact that we can make, I have clients all over the world, every continent we've worked with. And it's incredible. I, I retired my husband. He's come into the business to, to look back. Cause now it was four years ago. I left to look back at what our life was then. And what our life is now, it's not about what we have or the money we've made. We are completely different people. Really? We're completely different people. And I'm so proud of that. So I don't know that I answered your question, but it's, it's a completely different chapter. It really is. It's so funny. The way that you say I retired my husband, I'm like, like it was a mob hit. You just, you, <laughs> you offed him in the middle of the night. He's done. I retired him. But I'm guessing you mean you guys are making enough money on the business that he can now be yeah. retired and just work in your business. Yeah. Yeah. He left his corporate grind. <laughs> and what's that dynamic look like being, being the wife and also the boss of your husband? Yeah. Well, interestingly enough, he is actually the CEO of the company. I'm the CVO, the visionary officer. So um, I don't know that he's my boss, but uh, I just kind of say still, where you're I, still the boss. Still yeah. I say where I want the ship to go. And then he and the team figure out how to make it work. So it's been incredible. We left New York city uh, during the heat of everything that was going on. We actually got rid of all of our things. He left his job. We bought a 40 foot motorhome. I don't know if you know this. I do not and know we, this. Yeah. We lived full time in the motorhome, 40 foot motorhome. It's about like 300 square feet for 14 months and traveled 27 States. And we actually just landed here in Scottsdale a month ago and bought a house and got rid of the RV. So oh. it was a lot of transition. Yeah. Wow. Well, I, uh, I make it out to Scottsdale every other month because uh, oh. our corporate processing center for the mortgage company I work for, Movement Mortgage, is out there in Tempe, and I love staying in Scottsdale. So next time I'm out there, I'll have to hit you up for a beer, and we'll, uh, we'll hang out. Yes. Actually, you're a physical trainer. Do you drink, or like, has it been like 10 years since you had a carb? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I left the training industry after 18 years last year, so I'm good. I'll have a drink. Perfect, perfect. Yeah. And I was reading your your bio, the one that was up from your training business, and you were a pretty high-level gymnast as a, as a child, right? 
Yeah, I was up until college. Mm -hmm. And how much do you think that pick, pick an adjective, you know, mm -hmm. work ethic, tenacity, that's, that's tough stuff. I, uh, I can't remember what the levels are, but like, I remember I had a girlfriend in high school who like wasn't at Olympic trials, but she was at like the triple a baseball right before Olympic trials. <laughs> yep. And it was brutal. I mean, the weekend tournaments, the morning workouts, like they would yep. do like morning strength workouts. And then she would leave An school up here a period early to do yep. like these three hour tumbling workouts. And I'm like, dude, you're like, tiny and breaking and it seems miserable and you're always injured and you broke all these but why are you doing this like are you really going to make it to the olympics and she's a lovely lady uh we're actually yeah. still friends but um anything about that kind of semi-professional athletic career yeah. that you think has carried over to the business world literally everything okay the biggest thing delayed gratification which is something that a lot of us are missing especially now as technology has grown and everything is just faster and faster at our fingertips delayed gratification because gymnastics is much like a lot of sports, the type of sport where it's all cumulative. Like you cannot learn a backflip until you learn how to do a back handspring. And then before that is a back walkover and before that's a bridge. And so at a very young age, you start to learn, it's going to be years before I can actually do some of these skills. And so delayed gratification would be like probably the number one thing. But interestingly, I was working with a speaking coach recently, and we were sort of unpacking some of my own story to figure out my new story. And what came up was gymnastics. And he was able to bridge the gap between the way that I used to learn routines, kind of like dance where you learn, yeah. you know, four counts or eight counts, and then you glue it to another four. And then when you've perfected that, you glue it to another four. That's exactly how I create courses. And that's exactly how I sort of see businesses. And it's this element of like mastering something, or not quite mastering, but really nailing it down before you add on the next layer and it was so interesting when he kind of showed that to me because I hadn't seen that. And it's it's how I teach and it's how I learn and it's why things make sense in my brain the way that they do. But yeah, I think I think everything from winning to losing to working hard, work ethic, delayed gratification. I mean, all all of these different things, right? Yeah. It makes sense knowing that background that you would get into a job where it's like everything is very linear, right? Like come up with the idea, do this, work in Kajabi, build the class. You have to have one lesson before you go on to the next lesson. Like yeah. that makes a ton of sense. Um I, it's funny. I was watching one of my buddies has a, I don't, I don't know how old they are. They got to be young. Cause the routine was boring as watching paint dry. <laughs> and they posted like their kids whole, like, uh, on the, it was the balance beam, you yeah. know? And, and they posted the whole thing and it's like, great. I'm super proud of you. You're a proud dad, whatever. But my only experience of gymnastics being the Olympics or pretty damn near close with my ex-girlfriend from high school. It's like watching this was like watching paint dry. And you know, I'm sure it took a lot of skill cause the girl was like, turning around on the balance beam, but I'm like, isn't there supposed to be like a double flip on the balance beam? And then I'm like, oh, this girl's just really young. And like, there's all, yep. she, all she can do is turn around. And I'm sure that's beautiful at some age, but I was just like, God, this is awful. Non-professional mm -hmm. non sports are the most boring things ever. Um, oh, kids soccer is the worst. Oh, kids soccer is just like a clump, <laughs> a clump of like 20 kids circling around the ball. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, yeah. no, thank you. That's why my kids yeah. are only going to do jujitsu because then they can work out at the same time. Cool. I can. Can, and I um, and I don't have to be bored. I'm very selfish in that way as a parent. I just I can't imagine sitting there for five hours watching T-ball. Uh, it just yeah. it seems brutal. I, that was being a phys ed teacher, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. So, hey, a couple questions. Since we are this, uh, we're we're filming in January 22. This will release probably March or so. Um, 
the fact that you just spent 14 months in a trailer and there's been all the craziness that we don't have to talk about going on the last two years. What are you, uh, what are you most excited for going forward? You know, personal life, business life, whether, you know, either whether it's something that's going to get back to normal that you're looking forward to or some growth in the industry that you're super excited about. Like what's on the horizon for you personally and professionally that we can root for you on? Yeah. Thank you. For me personally, I think just getting grounded and, you know, we were on the road for 14 months and it took me about nine months to finally recognize that it just wasn't a season of grounding. And as, as badly as I wanted it, I had to just sort of let go and surrender. We were flying. And when you're flying, you can't be grounded. And so I finally was able to let that go. But I definitely have missed everything from community to routine and rituals and sort of just having that feeling of being grounded. And we've been here for about five weeks now. My central nervous system has really slowed down and it's amazing to see. I didn't realize it was in such fight or flight, but we were just on the go. I mean, we literally moved almost every single week for, for 14 months. And so for me, it's that grounding. And like I said earlier, I collect, I collect friends and relationships. And so I didn't recognize that either, how much I really missed community and craved that because while the road was incredible and if you can do it, do it like anyone listening, it's amazing. And it was really, really hard. And one of the things that was really difficult was it was isolating. You know, my husband's great. Our dog is adorable, but it was just us, you know, and and you meet cool people, but then you leave. And so uh, I think for me, that is most exciting in my life at this very moment is just kind of coming back to home, if you will, even though home is it's with me. It's just having that feeling of kind of calm and then in business and what's going on. uh, We've just built the most incredible team. And last year for us was a lot of slowing down to speed up. It was a lot of behind the scenes and tweaking things and sort of setting up systems and people knowing their place and moving people around in the company. And this year it just feels like we're already just soaring. It's just, it's, we get to be on a little bit of autopilot. So I'm super excited for that. Amazing. Like obviously you guys live and breathe in the digital space, but any insight from the last couple of years of running a fairly large team, all remote digital, you know, kind of um, what do they call that when you're not disenfranchised? Um, um, You know, when you're, when you're out doing your own thing, uh, anyway, the word will come to me, but any, any insight from running a remote team? Um, insight, let's see, over the last two years, it's become obviously more common, commonplace, more popular. So it's not this weird abstract thing anymore. A lot of people are used to zoom. You know, I was using zoom eight years ago. People didn't know what it was. So now it's everybody's using zoom. Everybody's used to having these types of calls. I think zoom fatigue is real. I think sitting behind a computer for people is not ideal, which right. for the record, if you're looking to build a business online, you are going to have to be behind the computer. A lot of the day, it's not Fair sitting enough. at the beach with a laptop. Um, if you've ever tried to sit at the beach on a laptop, it's miserable. But yeah, I think, um, I think in my particular coaching industry in the little corner of the internet that I live, I think people have gotten a little bit fed up with some things. I think you, you used a term earlier, but anything from like sleazy marketing. I think there's a lot of flashy marketing. uh, You're going to make a million dollars in 35 seconds. Like those types of things. People are smart, getting smarter. And like you said too, with the webinars, like we know, we know what it is. We know you're selling us at the end. So I think there are just changes coming down the pipeline in the way that people sell as as well as the way people consume. I also think there's got to be a new social media platform on the horizon. That's about to pop. Please. Please. I don't even care what it is. It could be extreme right wing, extreme left wing. (laughs) I don't care. Just anything, anything different. Um, 
Yeah. By the way, I'm very upset to hear that you're not sleazy because I was hoping when I came to Scottsdale we could take some, you know, video footage in front of somebody else's Lamborghini or a fake fake private jet to be like, fly with Jessica and Scott and you'll be a billionaire in 77 seconds. (laughs) I'll meet you in Paradise Valley for the video. It'll be great. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, I I used to live out in uh, Palmdale, uh, right outside of Los Angeles, and about half an hour north of us is where the uh, airplane graveyard is, where they put all the decommissioned airplanes if in case they need extra parts. I've been like, yeah. dude, I bet you I could just sneak out there, pretend like I have my own 747 jumbo jet, you know, just like sneak in there and film some promo videos. No one will know. No one will know. They, It'll be fine. They probably do that. There's probably an app where you can rent an hour of space, you oh, know? For sure. For yeah. sure. Um, yeah, I've got I've got some funny stories about that, but those are not for podcast public consumption. So over a beer sometime, I'll share that with you. Um, Perfect. Uh, la- last question. Uh, well, second to last question, because my last question is always about movies. But second to last question, if, uh, if I was just trying to extract three minutes of free coaching from you, um, yeah. let's say I've got a... a a product idea. So I've always taught kind of lead generation, a lot of stuff in this in the spot in that space. One of the things that I feel we've really mastered over the last couple of years, a lot because of some courses I've gone through, is really mastering time management. And so I've got this whole curriculum that I teach loan officers on uh, get your time back, like a path to capturing five hours a week back. And I know it really works because the people that go through it authentically, they follow the five five steps that we have and they do the five workshops and whatnot. They actually do get like five hours of their time back every week. And I keep thinking to myself, I'm like, oh, this is the course that could bridge the gap from me just teaching loan officers to teaching loan officers and realtors and insurance agents and financial planners. Because basically anybody who runs a business or is fully commissioned, their time is probably their most valuable asset. So give me the 90 second spiel on how we would work together if I wanted to build that course to kind of bridge the gap and make me a bigger deal than just like kind of sort of a little bit of a big deal in the mortgage space, but like a bigger deal in the personal development space. Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing we would do is just sit down and do niche and ideal client, which isn't fun or sexy, but it's important, right? The basics are really important. So there's a difference between current audience and ideal client. And people sometimes get that confused. So you get to take, you get to make a choice. It's like, do you want to lean into your current audience because they're already there and it's low-hanging fruit? Or do you want to just go straight for the ideal client of who you would like to call in? And is that actually the same person? Because if it is, then I mean that's 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 like that's the golden thing right there. If it is from there, knowing that it's an ideal client, it's all messaging. So like you're saying too, where you're talking about, it could be loan officers, it could be, you know, accountants, it could be this, that, and the other, it could be entrepreneurs. So it's really understanding the message, who you're speaking to and really packaging up what I call an irresistible offer. So the offer is that sort of fantasy of A to B. So what's the solution? What's the outcome? What's the transformation? How are you bringing people across? And so the way that I see it is, we have two islands, Island A and Island B. And Island A is where people are right now. So that's where they're struggling or they're challenged or they're having, you know, whatever it is, self-doubt, pains, all of those things are happening in Island A. Island B is where they want to go, the desired outcome, the goal, the just dream life is Island B. And so we have the vehicle, we have that airplane that you slap together from the graveyard and right. we can take them from A to B. But the problem that most entrepreneurs fall into is that they sell the airplane. And so when we're talking about you and I going to Greece to have, you know, beers and Santorini at, uh, what, or sorry, Mykonos, what's that place? Scorpios. We're going to have cocktails at Scorpios in Greece. I can either call you up and say like, hey, Scott, would, do you want to go on an airplane? It's going to be amazing. We're going to get to the airport. We have to schlep our bags there. We're going to wait in line for like 45 minutes. They're going to check our stuff. And 
finally going to board the plane. We'll have a seven hour flight. It's going to be incredible. Your legs will barely have any room to stretch out. Oh my God, I can't wait. Or do you want to go to Greece? We're going to go to Scorpios and we're going to hang out on the beach and we're going to smash plates and we're going to watch the sunset with really good electronic music. And we're going to have cocktails and be all sexy people, right? So there's selling the airplane and then they're selling the island and the airplane are the deliverables, which people get caught up into selling because oftentimes those deliverables make us feel worthy, yeah. valued and credible and like an authority. And it's like, but I have 150 page book and 75 lessons and 800. You're telling me I'm going to get my time back. And now you're right. telling me I have to watch 800 videos. It doesn't right. make any sense. Right. Whereas when we sell the outcome, it feels very, very different. So I would sit down, I would go through niche ideal client, I would go through messaging, and then we would hone in on sort of the launch strategy and how you're going to utilize stuff like social media. Nice. I love it. Yeah. See, free coaching by Jessica, just for our audience. <laughs> um, and last question, because I feel like you can get to know a lot about somebody, and, and this will decide whether or not we have a beer one day in Scottsdale. Mm. Um, favorite movie and why? Do I have to pick one? <sighs> oh, you can talk about, I, I could talk about movies for hours. We could turn this into a seven hour podcast and just talk about movies. So no, you don't have to pick just one. Perfect. Okay. So you know how you have like top five, but there's like 10 in your top five. Yes. So I, I'm not going to give you 10, but um, for nostalgic reasons. And just like, if I had to pick all genres because it's nostalgic, the princess bride. Oh, world-class movie. Right. However, if I had to pick like just good movie, Shawshank Redemption, definitely a favorite. Phenomenal. And then, uh, yeah, I think what else would be in there? Avatar, Forrest Gump, Never Ending Story would be a nostalgic thing as well. Seven, love a good Morgan Freeman, you know? Oh, Seven is one of those movies where it's like you watch it and you're like, okay, one of the best movies I've ever seen and I never am going to watch it again. Never again, Because yep. it's like so disturbing. There, there's like, there's a half dozen movies like that, uh, Eight Millimeter with Nicolas Cage. Even yep. the Passion of the Christ was so hard to watch because they're just like filleting human beings and Ugh. whatnot that I was just like, oh, these are world-class phenomenal movies with great storytelling and I'm never watching no. them again. <laughs> yeah. Like I remember yep. being almost physically ill when I watched Seven. Um, cause I, I I'm a little empathetic and then I, I watched it in high school with my dad. We thought it'd be a, a good weekend cause my sister and, and mom were out of town. So we watched like seven. I think we oh. also watched eight millimeter with, um, with, with, uh, uh, Nicholas Cage and just some other horrifically violent movies. And I'm like, dad, why, why do we do that? I need like an ice cream or something. Can we go watch like Tommy boy or top gun or something happy? So <laughs> Um, I do love the Princess Bride, so we we are now yeah. eligible for beer territory. Uh, I'll bring it. my wife. You can bring your husband, and we'll talk about um, storming the castle or something. Um, <laughs> Perfect. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate you. Where do people, uh, or actually, we'll get all your websites and everything to put it uh, put it in the show notes to make sure people can find you and uh, get on the twelve week class if they have a a mission or or something that they want to teach through course format. Uh, I don't think there's anybody better than the Kajabi queen, Jessica Glazer. Thank so. you so much, Scott. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on.